Uh, Rabbi David Foreman, Rabbi David Foreman is with us live via telephone. I mentioned earlier that um, he has a unique perspective on many things biblical. And the brand new book is called The Exodus You Almost Passed Over. The Exodus You Almost Passed Over. Rabbi David Foreman is the dean and founder of Aleph Beta and scholar for the Hofberger Foundation for Torah Study. Lectures internationally on biblical themes. Rabbi Foreman is in uh, Woodmere, where he is scholar, a resident scholar, I should say, at the Young Israel of Woodmere. He's author of the book, The Beast That Crouches at the Door, um, The Queen You Thought You Knew, and served as senior writer and editor for Art Scroll Schottenstein edition of the Talmud and taught biblical themes at Johns Hopkins University. Rabbi Foreman's lectures and animated videos are available at alephbeta.org, A-L-E-P-H-B-E-T-A.org. Rabbi David Foreman, an honor to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you very much, Nachum. It was great to be with you. I had an interesting experience on Purim. I um, challenged myself to some of the questions that you asked. I, ass- <laughs> I assume that uh, the video I saw, um, the same, some of the same information would be in the book, The Queen You Thought You Knew, right? I assume that's about Queen Esther, correct? Yep, the video is a little slice of the book. Yeah, and uh, you asked some very interesting questions, especially in uh, in terms of her reaction to Mordechai's request, demand, suggestion, you know, that she go to the king. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, someone has this opportunity to be in front of the king, and she's not put to death. She's actually welcomed in by the king. You'd think at that point she would, you know address a a poignant problem that's that's facing her and her people mm-hmm. and instead she asks for a gathering that'll include the king and Haman himself so I, I i just i'm telling you i i i enjoyed that entire analysis and it's, it was amazing to me after all these decades i had never thought of that question <laughs> yeah i mean that's part of the thrill of this kind of study is is um kind of looking at stuff that you have always read a thousand times and sing it in a new way. And in a way, our familiarity with these biblical texts that we grew up with, while, you know, it, it sort of helps us, it can also work against us in a strange way. There's something I call the lullaby effect, uh, which is, um, you know, when, when you know something really, really well, you stop listening to the words. And it's like, you know, rockabye baby on the treetop. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you, you can get a kid to sleep by singing that. But if mm-hmm. the kid actually listen to the words, you know, so uh, the cradle will rock, and then the, the bow will fall, and down <laughs> will come baby, and you and your sweet little little kid who's listening to this is going to say, uh, you know, it was the mother trying to kill the baby, and why are you, why are you telling me that? And so there are these, these questions that are just latent in the things that we know so well, but we just stop listening to the words. And, you know, how many times have you just sort of almost fallen asleep when you, you know, heard the Chumash read in shul or something like that, and, and it, it, you know, you heard it for the umpteenth time, and yet there are these delights in the, in, just in the text and in, in, in the questions that the text is putting to you that if you really struggle with, you can begin to get to some of the fascinating meaning underneath. And that's, you know, what these books are trying to do. And, and, and uh, not to take away from the topic of the day, which is obviously Passover in the brand new book, which I'll get to in a minute, but I will also tell you, that I had, mm-hmm. an, I had an opportunity to see your video series or part of it. I, it it's hard for me to keep track exactly of which parts I, see, I have seen already about Megillas Rus and, mm-hmm. and how that story is so significant historically. Now, of course, obviously, every story or every book 
of the Tanakh is going to be significant historically. But I think I, you know what I mean in that it, you showed how so many things that span, I don't know, can I say thousands or is it hundreds of years? But I think I could say thousands, right, uh, yep. are, are tied together because of that story of Ruth herself. Yes. Uh, we actually have two different video series on the Gilas Ruth, uh, on Alaseda, and both of them uh, kind of try to show the historical background within Tanakh itself. Um, how Megillus is the culmination for so much. One of the series goes back to uh, the stories of Yehud and Tamar and Lot and his daughters. Of course, Yehud and Tamar is where Boaz comes from, ultimately, and uh, Lot and his daughters is where Tamar comes from, the, the birth of Moab, um, and how all those stories are coming together. And Ruth and the second series goes all the way back even further um, it, it's actually one of my favorite series on the site. I think it's, uh, I forgot what we called it. It really gets to the issue of why Avram was chosen and uh, tries to show that there's a, a ten-generation event that happens every ten generations in Chomesh, going all the way back to uh, the very first man, um, uh, Adam and Eve, and the, the, and the, death, of, um, the death of Hevel at the hands of Cain, um, ten generations later with Noah and his three sons, ten generations later with Avram, and uh, he, of course, is one of three sons, and then ten generations later uh, with uh, with Megillat Ruth and with, um, with Boaz. And without giving away what that event is and why it's significant, um, you really get a sense of this... Uh, um, you know, epic, epic story unfolding over time, and um, and why it is that uh, Miguel Abreu is, is so powerful. Yep. Rabbi David Foreman is with us. Alephbeta dot org. A l e p h b e t a dot org. All right. So, um, so the name Passover seems to bother you. Of all the names you would give the upcoming holiday for two weeks from tomorrow night, it seems Passover would not be the highest on your list. Yep, um, you know, that's kind of the facetious opening to the book. Um, in chapter one, uh, I kind of play a little thought experiment where you're uh, an angel, you know, imagine an angel in the back of the room, uh, part of God's nominating committee for the names of new holidays, and everybody's brainstorming names. And again, this is one of those lullaby effect things. You know, we're so used to calling it Pesach, so used to calling it Passover, it's just not something you think about. But if you imagine that there was no name for the holiday and there were a bunch of angels, uh, you know, who were <laughs> called upon to advise the Kaddish Baruch himself about the naming of a holiday. The committee. Uh, you know, uh, the committee, as it were. So one guy says it should be Freedom Day, another guy says it should be Independence Day. Mm. Imagine a guy at the back of the room says, you know, let's call it Passover. And everyone says, <laughs> well, Passover? He says, well, you know, it's like a pun. There's this, uh, you know, the 10th the plague, all the children were going to get killed, the, the, the Egyptian children got killed, and ours got spared, so it was kind of like God passed over them. So it's called the whole holiday Passover. So, you know, not many people would think that's a great idea, because <laughs> as important as it is that our children were saved, nobody wanted our children to die on that day. But uh, it doesn't seem to be the essence of the day. You know, isn't the day about freedom? Isn't the day about independence? Isn't the day about the birth of a, of a nation? And, uh, you know, how does Passover fit into it? So that's kind of one of the linchpin questions that I, I, that I try to start with. And, you know, the way the book is structured is kind of like it, 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 it was a real challenge to write a book like this because it's, it's, I guess it's, and, and I talk about this in the preface, you know, what kind of book is it? Um, and it, it's kind of like a nonfiction mystery novel 
exploration of Chumash. And it, the idea is to try to get people really excited about learning Chumash. And it's not like a sefer that you have to read because your Rebbe's going to kill you if you don't read this, or your mother says you have to read it. But, you know, can you get people to pick up a book the way they would pick up a novel for leisure reading and just lose themselves in Torah and, and find themselves just tickled pink? And um, can you write that kind of engaging book? So, to me, the measure of success of a book like this is can it ask the question and can it keep you as a page-turner, you know, and it's not just the Torah of it, which I hope is 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 solid and fascinating, but it's also the readability and and um, and the mystery, and that's one of those mystery questions that we begin with at the very beginning, the, at the beginning, the angel in the back of the room and the mystery of the name Passover itself. Uh, Rabbi David Foreman is with us. Uh... The, the what are some of the other things that I mean I, I see some of the questions that you ask for instance while well, we just spoke about the name how the name could have been you know certainly better you asked did the Exodus have to be so complicated and and com- yep. complicated in what way how come I as the casual middle aged man <laughs> who's somewhat yep. familiar with the story doesn't necessarily see it as complicated what am I missing. So, yeah, uh, you know, again, these are really the first three chapters, and I, I try to, and, and it goes back to the lullaby effect. The reason why you and I, and, you know, I'm a middle-aged man just like you, you know, and, and we've gone through many sudarim, it doesn't seem complicated, because for us it seems routine. But, um, you know, but again, if you were imagining, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of God himself, and, you, you know, if you imagine there was a game, and I talk about this, I think, in Chapter 2. Uh, imagine there was a video game. You called it the Exodus game. And uh, the goal was, you know, you get to play God. You know, in some of these video games, they have God mode, where you have unlimited power. So God really does have unlimited power. He doesn't hold himself back. You know, in the Megillah, he holds himself back. There's no great Nisim. There's just the behind-the-scenes stuff. But in the Exodus, you know, everything is fair game. There's a, God uses all these incredible powers. Right. So if you said, you're God, you're using all the powers at your disposal, your job is that there's a nation that you like that's brutally enslaved. Your job is to quickly and easily get them, get them out and take them to the promised land. How hard do you think that would be <laughs> if you were God? Good point. Good point. You know, so <laughs> would it really take you ten plays? <laughs> right. You know, it, it doesn't have to take ten plays. Right, you know? but, but I mean... Easy, I... Freeze the Egyptians in place, right. set up a force field around them, you know, have the Jews walk out to freedom. Uh, you know, and, and the crazy thing is, is that God actually used some of these things within Yitzhak Mitzrayim itself, but later on in the process, not to make it simpler, but just you know, he kind of used them. For example, as the Jews were actually leaving, so there was kind of like a force field. If you remember the great cloud, the cloud of the divine presence, right. actually comes to protect the Jews as they're as they're leaving. So you know, if we, we did that a little bit earlier, then everything we could, could just walked right out. Um, darkness, the ninth plague. You know, what a great idea! Have the Egyptians not be able to see a blasted thing? The Jews could walk right out under their noses, and that's it. You know, you don't even need the tenth plague at all. So there's so many easier ways to do this. It seems almost like God is choosing the hard way. Um, uh, so that's one of the examples. The other example is of bargaining sessions. I mean, it's literally comical. I mean, if you read Parshat Bo, Parshat Ba'era, uh, it's hard to keep a straight face. It even seems like a Purim, you know, like a Purim spiel. And by the way, as, uh, as part of that, yeah. as part of that negotiation, one of the things that that you point out that that always bothers many many people, even the young among us, 
is that we feel it's unfair that uh, that God controls Paro's heart. If in fact there is free will in this world, let let's mm-hmm. let's see what this king of Egypt decides after each one of these plagues. But we see God intervene and literally make him even more stubborn so that the Jews are not released from Egypt. Yes, and that's one of the one of the key things which I deal with in the book. Um, it's actually a really fascinating piece. I wouldn't want to give it all away here, but I'll, I'll give your readers this tip. Um, uh, one of the arguments I make in the book is that you have to pay attention to the language in Hebrew that the Torah is using to signify God changing Pharaoh's mind. If you look carefully, you'll find it's not one Hebrew verb, but two. There's the word kibbutz halev, right, and chizuk halev, and they're used interchangeably. Now, the question is, do they mean the same thing? You know, if you had to translate uh, kavad lev paro, how would you translate it? Is it, is it the same translation as bayechazak hashem lev paro? These are two different verbs. So, you know, you're a speaker of Hebrew. You know what the word chazak means. The word chazak means strong. So one idea here is strength of heart. Well, you're also a Hebrew speaker. You know what the word kaved means. Kaved means heavy, or it means hard. So the question is, is there a difference between a hard heart and a strong heart? One of the arguments I make is that if you really think about it, if you just think about your biological heart, which one would you rather have, a strong heart or a hard heart? Most of us would want a strong heart. We would associate that with courage. And if you look elsewhere in Tanakh, Chizokalev is associated with courage. Um, if you look elsewhere in Tanakh about Kibbut Halev, you'll find right hard-heartedness. And if you didn't think about your biological heart, your heart dies. You have a heart attack. Your heart is a muscle. It's not supposed to be hard. A hard heart is a stubborn heart. Wow. So the question is, are these ideas two different ideas? Right. It could be that one idea is courage. And the other idea is stubbornness. Now, right. what you can then do, and you, I, I encourage your readers to do this, we, we do a, a thing at our family Seder where we, uh, we sometimes give our kids what we call Pesach projects, stuff to research before they um, come to the Seder, and they'll make something and kind of show it at the Seder, and we'll put up these posters around the Seder. It's great fun. And one of the things that our kids have done over time is this, which is have your kids make a chart of the ten plagues, and Paro's reaction after each of them, right? And just chart through, in which cases does Paro have chizuk and in which cases does he have kibud halev? Which cases is Paro sort of getting uh, the courage to resist, and in which cases is Paro being stubborn? And then ask yourself, in some of these cases, God is the one doing it, or some of the cases, Paro is the one doing it. Sometimes Paro hardens his own heart or gives himself courage. Sometimes God is the one who does that. God is the one who gives him courage. God is the one who hardens his heart. Now, what's fascinating is that there's like a little matrix here. It's like a, you know, you can you could just put, um, you know, is it physical life or is it cubital life? With each plague, which one is it? Is God doing it or right. is Paro doing it? You know, it, it, and, it you know. and you see a whole story unfold, and the story is a very surprising story. It's not at all clear that God actually deprives him of free will at all. Because if I encourage you, right, if you were down and you weren't sure you could accomplish something, and I gave you courage, I encouraged you, would you say I've deprived you of free will? No. Maybe God never did it. Maybe God didn't deprive him of anything. Right. But simply gave power the courage to persevere. It pays to read the book, and in this case, I'm not sure I'm referring to your book. <laughs> it pays, it pays, it pays. True. No, that's the whole point. Right, it pays to because read the book. It, it's not about me. It's about the Torah. I'm just a tour guide, right? And this is the, 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 the excitement and the passion is the book of books. 
right? It's the Torah itself, and that's really the mission here. Get people excited and passionate and say, my goodness, this is the greatest story ever told, and it's not Foreman's story. This is the Bible. It's God's story. Unbelievable. Rabbi David Foreman, the book is called The Exodus You Almost Passed Over. Uh, where is this available? In these days, I guess you could say everywhere, right? Well, it is kind of available everywhere. You can get them in, in, in places like Eichler's in Brooklyn and places like Judaica Plus, even restaurants like Central Perk, and if you're in Cedarhurst and places like that, Stop, Shop, and Roll. So, and places in Teaneck, the bagel stores, I believe, are carrying it too. You can also get them online at our website, alethbeta.org, A-L-E-T-H-B-E-T-A.org. You can get them on Amazon, although Amazon is back-ordered, but be patient. They're getting a whole bunch of books today. So you can you can order and they will ship them to you. Um, so, uh, but it's it's there, and uh, I, I encourage you to get a copy. And I also encourage you to to communicate. I love feedback and questions and thoughts. And um, you know, it's a new book; it's brand new, and we haven't really gotten feedback yet. So send it send it to us at info at alafeta.org, info at a l e p h b e t a dot o r g your thoughts on the book. And, uh, and if people want a little slice of it, a taste of it, a little preview, they can actually go on our website, alethbeta.org, A-L-E-P-H-B-E-T-A.org, and actually look at our new just-released Pesach series. I believe we call it The Exodus That Might Have Been, which is a little slice of the fourth part of this book. It came out beautifully. I'm telling you, it's crazy because you have no idea the ability of, of animated video with sound and with music to convey an idea. I have to tell you a story. Yesterday... Very, very, wo- very quickly, or before Very me. quickly, 10 seconds. I was watching this for the very first time. I was the guy who came up with the content, but our video animators did such an incredible job. I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes, listening to stuff as if it was the first time, and I myself actually recorded it. But it's very beautifully done, and I'll give you a little taste of what it is the ex- uh, here in the book. The Exodus yeah. You Almost Passed Over by David Foreman, F-O-H-R-M-A-N. Go to alephbeta.org, alephbeta.org. Echad kasher v'sameach to you. Always a delight to speak with you. Great talking to you, Nachum. Thanks for having me on. More coming up at 10 minutes before 9 o'clock. This is JM in the AM.